0: What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Kurt Buscara, AKA Kirky B. He's played with so many great artists, such as Elton John, Mick Jagger, Tom Petty, Sarah McLachlan, Lana Del Rey, Johnny Cash, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. His pocket is deep and his stories are endless and fun. This is actually Kirky e. B's second appearance in the show. I had him on a few years back to discuss five defining moments in his own recording career, but this time he discusses the five records that shaped him into one of the go-to session players in LA. I love him, he's a ball, and I hope you enjoy my chat with the one and only Kurt Pascara, but I wanted to get some housekeeping out of the way, so I'm figuring this all out as i go along and so i've changed the submission process for the listener picks i really love this segment and i think it's really important for the show but the whole voicemail situation wasn't really giving me the quality of audio that i require so i've made a cute little form it's pretty much identical to the forms i send our guests it should be in the show notes of every episode, if I've done my job right, and you can find the link there. Just fill out the prompts, and I will read it aloud myself during the shows, and play the song of your choice. Should be simple enough, but I'll probably change my mind eventually, but whatever, don't judge me. Just participate, and every little while, I'll choose a winner for something fun, and you can trust me, because I'm a fun guy. Uh, okay, on with the show. Kirky B!
1: Life is rich, but it's way too short. You make a lot of money, but you just want more. You don't need the pain right here in my heart. But I hate every minute when it's so far apart.
0: Before we get into your big fat five, I do want to talk about or ask you what was your specific plan of attack when curating these specific songs?
1: Well, you know, I had to go back into my teen years because I think that's when I was most influenced. And I just I I just remember the feeling of hearing these drummers over and over again and the songs over and over again and what exactly brought me to where I am today as a touring drummer, studio drummer, an engineer, producer, songwriter. It just inspired me from so many different angles. And so that's where I was kind of coming from with, with these five, just how it made me feel and what it meant to me then and now.
0: I love it. All right, so let's do uh, the album's Yellow Jackets. The artist is Yellow Jackets, release year 1981. The drummer is Ricky Lawson, who's not talked a lot about on this podcast, so I'm happy whenever someone brings him up. And Matinee Idol is the key track, but of course, listen to the whole record. But yeah, what about this record stood out to you, and when did it come into your life and all that jazz?
1: Well, let's see. I think it was released in 81, so I was a junior in high school. I had... <laughs> All right, I can admit this. Pretty funny. I have two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. My eldest brother, he's been passed away now for a few years, but... During that time in high school, I found where he stashed his bong and his weed. <laughs> nice. So my mom had a day gig and my two brothers were already out of the house, but my brother kept a room at my mom's house where I lived. And of course, that's where I found his bong and weed. And I remember getting the first Yellow Jackets record and I thought, oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to take a hit from his bong and I'm going to listen to the Yellow Jackets record. And I did it in the morning before school and I thought, oh man, I'll I'll do a." a hit of weed listen to uh the yellow jackets and then um go to school (laughs) well (laughs) i did one hit of weed i put the headphones on and woke up at noon so i missed (laughs) all first through fourth period you know in high school and uh i was like ah screw it so i ditched school that day and listened over and over to that first yellow jackets record and um I, and I don't think it was the cannabis that was doing the the thinking for me, but I just remember listening to Ricky and how his execution of the drums were so precise, yet really groovy. And and where he hit the drums was always the same, almost to the point where it sounded like a machine, but it wasn't. He just had impeccable time. And the engineer, um, Al Schmidt, and the producer, um Tommy LaPuma, they just had a way of making a sheen of music happen. Like it was just so slick and smooth and sexy. And and when you put the headphones on, everything just seemed to gel together. And, you know, since that, that duo of Tommy and Al, I, I haven't really heard music like that in a while. So whenever I hear that record, I get really excited.
0: Are there any other records that they've done together that people can go check out if they love the vibe of this record?
1: Yeah, I think uh, they did the f- following two of the Yellow Jackets. Mm. I think they've done Diana Krall records that are more recent. But I, they've done so much, man. I think you just have to Google it and you'll find whoever. And, you know, I think they even did Buble records. Michael oh, wow.
0: Buble. So they're not one trick ponies. They're kind of all over the place. That's awesome. They're all over the place. Yeah.
1: I was just about to say Van Halen, but that's not true.
0: But, <laughs> that they did all the Beatles records. Um, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where were you in your uh, drumming journey when you listened to this? Because obviously you said that you keyed in on the drums right away. But
1: Well, let's see, I was a junior in high school and I was already gigging with my mom. I had a band already in high school, gigging around town, you know, in clubs and um, backyard parties and things like that. So the development of my drumming was all from like listening to records like listening to drummers and reading their names on their album covers, thinking, man, this guy plays on a lot of records, because I'd always read these names over and over again. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do as a drummer. I want to be the guy that's on a record like that, where I'm playing all these different types of music. So uh, that's what led me to going to Musicians Institute, PIT, to learn how to read, because I, I was a street player. I learned how to play by ear, but I knew all how to play all of the styles of music, but I just didn't know how to write it or read it. So that was my segue into MI and studying under Ralph Humphrey and Joe Mm Picaro.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, to go back to talking about records and seeing the drummers, that's a thing that I think uh, the streaming world is, and the kids are are missing out on. So many times I go to record stores and I just turn it around and I'm like, oh, Russ Kunkel, I'm definitely going to get this record. Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's just... You can't get that in the show in the song credits on Apple Music or Spotify. It doesn't say the players, which is unfortunate.
1: It's super unfortunate. I don't understand why someone didn't take out the billion-dollar loan and make that happen. It's it drives me bonkers. I mean, it's easy to do, and it turns you on to so much music. I mean, there's so many records
0: that I would have never bought. Because I had no idea who the artist was, but I want to hear what that drummer's doing on that. And hopefully, eventually, it'll happen. But all right, well, let's just listen to, to Matinee Idol, which, here we go. Let's do it. Yeah, it sounds great.
1: It's just slick. The 1981 Tropicana Bikini Contest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, do you remember at what song you started dozing off?
1: (laughs) I think there were nine tracks on this album, probably uh, track seven. after I flipped the record over.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that song is called It's Almost Gone, so that that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I was. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's slick. Wow.
1: It's super slick. It's super 80s, but I mean, at the time, it just seemed like pop music but without vocals mm-hmm. but it had hip hip record changes and the grooves were a little more thick and ricky just i don't know i mean god bless him man he was always so kind to me and just had nothing but words of gold to, to tell not only just me but everyone out there who would ask you know and uh his studio playing is just it's it's uh mm-hmm. what can you say you know yeah, I think
0: if I, if my memory serves me correctly, the other drummer who brought this record up specifically was Daru Jones, and it's cool because you and Daru are are stylistically different drummers, and, and the fact that you guys are both turned on by this record is so cool. It's just there's, there's through lines of players that are so dissimilar. Um, Ricky Lawson, way to go, bud.
1: Yeah, man, Ricky. Love you, Ricky.
0: Yeah. All right, so number two, the album's Live at Disneyland. The artist is Buddy Rich release year there' was a bunch of them online but around late 70s early 80s around there um and of course the drummers buddy rich so take it away and then we'll try and find a video from the performance yeah. you're you're talking about
1: well it's not a it's not a specific performance per se I didn't know how to put it in the forum but it was 1974 when my parents took me I was I was a little guy and and whenever he was playing their live at the carnation Uh, soundstage in Anaheim at the Disneyland there, we'd go and see Buddy Rich. So it wasn't any particular album, but I just remember going there whenever he played and just being blown away, just like, who is this old guy? And he's just killing. So fast forward to 1990, I'm on tour with Belinda Carlisle, and the guitar player had a a tape of the bus tapes of Buddy Rich. Mm, yep of him cussing out the band. Mm. And I was literally in tears, just sobbing. And they're like, why are you crying? I'm like, dude, that's my hero. And he's an asshole. Yeah. You know, and it just broke my heart. I had no idea that he was that way, but you know, Hey, I guess everyone runs their band different, but aside from his personality and his own way of putting his energy out there, his drumming. I mean, you, you, you could dispute it all day long. Yeah. Uh, But he's, he's, One of the greats, by
0: far. Yeah, speaking of those bus tapes, and maybe you know this as well, but I'm pretty sure it was Jerry Seinfeld, a lot of George's dad, his, like, exclamations and stuff were based off some of the things that Buddy said in those tapes.
1: Oh, I had no idea.
0: Or something like that. There's some sort of lore that has to do with those tapes and... Uh, one of the characters that's irate in Seinfeld. Um, wow! I'll, I'll I'll look it up and send it to you later. But yeah, it's that's uh, hilarious. Famous tapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just I'm just on YouTube. There's yeah, there's so many performances of him at um, Disneyland. But is there a specific song you'd want me to play? I see Grooving Hard, Bugle Call Rag, Celebration, Wind Machine, Love for Sale,
1: uh, Theme from West Side Story. Sure, sure, sure.
0: had a residency at Disneyland in his older age when he didn't want to tour as um, much? Or what was the deal with that?
1: No, I think it was just one of the spots that he would hit. Uh, okay, You know, when he, whenever he did the West coast and he would be there over the weekend, you know, like a Fridays through Sunday kind of thing. But I just remember, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it was Josh Fries's dad that was the musical director for Disneyland. And he was responsible for bringing a lot of, of the talent through Disneyland. That's where I remember seeing Josh Fries for the first time. He was little, man, but he was killing. He was already killing and playing at Disneyland. I just thought, man, I want to be like that guy. Now yeah. I really want to be like him.
0: <laughs> yeah, we all do. Good for Josh. I know, uh, Well man. earned. Yeah. So, so happy for him.
1: Me too, man.
0: Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co., It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through. The episode is essentially, from start to finish, what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at BigFatStandardrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat 5. I want you to get back to the show. But go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour. And I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye but all right, so number three, and I love this record. So albums, What Time Is It? The Artist Is The Time, release here is 1982. The key track is The Walk, and the drummer is, is Morris Day. Moral. Morris Day. Take it away, yeah.
1: Oh, man, Morris. I think it's quoted somewhere. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think Prince did say, of all of the drummers that he... He recorded with Morris was his guy that that always stands out in my mind. And and what really stands out in my mind was when I got the gig with Morris back in 85, he took all of us, the band to a nightclub to go hang out, you know, it was some sort of industry thing. And the, the song um, that Prince wrote called let's work came on. So I'm sitting next to Morris and Morris leans over and he goes, Ricky B. You know that's me on drums, right? And I said, Nah, man, that really? And he goes, Yes, I I played on all of those songs. That's me. And I, you know, I would I wasn't putting it together yet, and I'm fresh out of MI. So the the most stupid question I asked him was, Hey, Morris, did you play with a click with Prince? And he leans over and goes, Tricky B, I don't need no click. I am the click. <laughs> and that always stuck in my head. And now when I listen to this song, or I listen to anything that Morris recorded with with Prince, or any of those Time records, he's not playing to a click. It's just so obviously grooving, and he had impeccable time that he didn't need a click. He was the click. And between him and Prince, and Prince playing bass, it was just like these guys were there. They were untouchable.
0: Knowing that he said that, how'd you how'd you feel when you were playing drums for him?
1: Nervous. But but through time, you know, he really trained me to to get over all of that and and trust my my instincts and my time and and to be on top of things. And, and, um, you know, one one of the things he told me, he said, once once you're done working with me, you could work with anybody. And that always stuck with me. And every time I'd get a new gig with whether it was with Elton or Tom Petty or Seal or somebody I'd always think of Morris because uh, he's he told me that, you know, you know, to this day, I still think about that.
0: All right. Well, here's the walk. Yes. So, number 4, the album is Toto 4, and the artist is Toto. Released here's 1982 and the drummer's Jeff Picaro and the key track there's I mean this is this is the record that has a lot of the songs people would know Toto from. but right. you chose Waiting for Your Love yeah. and and
1: yeah, take it away. So, Waiting for Your Love had this has this weird bop bop bop. and then the groove goes in and there are times when I think I have it where the one is and where he's counting it off. And sometimes I don't. I'll never know. I got to ask Luca there. I got to ask somebody or Steve P. I got to ask one of those dudes where one is on that. But, you know, everyone everyone's go-to track is in Rosanna, of course, or Africa. Mm-hmm. But this track, Jeff is so slinky, man. And it's so sexy and shuffly and snaky. And it's so reminiscent of how I remember him in his personality. He just... The guy would walk in and just take over the room based on his vibe. He had such a vibe, and we all wanted to be like him. We all had the pink round glasses. We all had the leather coat, you know, and the vest. and you know, he just exuded cool. And so this groove in this song just exudes that to me like the way he's playing it and where he puts it. And again, this is uh Al Schmidt engineering. So again, the drums just have this beautiful sheen you know it's so even and precise and when you listen to it on headphones it sounds like you're actually sitting behind the kit
0: i need to look into more of al schmidt's stuff oh, cuz yeah all God. the records you've mentioned that he's on i that is a drum sound i i obsess with so that's awesome
1: yeah and i i attribute a lot of my recording here at the house to to al because whenever i do sessions with him i'd i'd always be the first to show up and the last to leave because i'd ask him stupid questions which i thought were stupid but i guess they're not but i'd say hey al how do you make a kick drum or a tom or overheads and you would always take the time to tell me
0: mm, that's awesome yeah all right so waiting for your love here we go <laughs> <laughs> no what you mean yeah right Yeah, I mean, there's a million obvious reasons why it was such a, a travesty to lose him. But can you imagine what recorded popular music would be if we would have still had him? It would have been totally different.
1: I haven't told many people this. I mean, there's a few people that know this, but now the drumming community and the, the world or no. But Jeff called me to play on this Boz Skaggs record that he was producing. He was making the transition from drummer to producer. Mm. And um I was his first choice to kind of start being on his like team of of cats to help him start, you know, making records. Wow. And and um, you know, in a short time after we recorded that Boz Gaggs record, which never saw the light of day, unfortunately, um, he passed away. But I was gonna be a part of that with him. And there isn't a day that doesn't go by where I think, God man, had he had been a producer and was still alive and doing stuff, I think we would still hear more music produced with live drums. And and, and the reason why I say that is because after he passed away, I remember he'd passed away in 92. and I, I think remember it was
0: 92, yeah. And
1: I remember 93 turning on the radio and all of the radio had changed, whereas a lot of what was played in 92 was Jeff. And then 93 is more drum machines, the Lin 9000 coming into play, the DMX machine. Um, I I think had he been alive, he would have played drums on it. You know, I would have, you know, a bunch of us, you know, would have would have still kept the flame of live drums going. So, yeah, it was really unfortunate we lost him because I I think he was going to be the golden key to keep live drums happening in the studio for sure. There isn't a day I don't, think about both Morris Day and and Jeff Piccaro I mean those two guys were really instrumental in getting my start uh in my career as a drummer you know and and those two guys being two drum two drummers and then have gone on to done what they've done it's like you know and for them to kind of have their eye on me and 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 see what I've been doing and then bring me into the fold you know that's 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 pretty heavy and I and I I don't discount any of that mm-hmm after you graduated
0: MIT, um or sorry, M- uh, M- MIT. I.
1: <laughs> Listen, I can't even solder two wires together, so, yeah. After
0: you graduated MI, um, how, how integral was, was Joe Picaro's mentorship on your life, because you were close with Jeff and and whatnot?
1: Well, it, it was kind of the opposite, you know. I mean, during my year at, at PIT, it was a lot of studies through Joe and Ralph and Casey Shrell and, you know, all, all the great teachers there in, in, in talking with Joe P, you know, he he was finally broke down and told me, he said, you know, Jeff used to come in and keep an eye on you, you know, and I'm like, what are you saying? He said, yeah, man, he knew, he knew that you were one of the cats that were going to be coming up on the scene. And I, I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, he, he knew that you had what it took to become like the next studio guy. Wow. <laughs> which blows my mind because, you know, Jeff was like my hero. And not only for your hero to call you on the phone, to hire you for a Boss Gags record, here's your hero kind of before anything went down, before Morris Day, before any of that, he was coming in spying on me, you know, like seeing how I'm developing. And and, uh, I, I think Joe, his mentorship and helping me learn how to read and, and learn different styles and, then becoming a dear friend and and then later you know jeff bringing me into the fold and taking me under his wing god i i'm at a loss of words for that because it's it's surreal sometimes you know
0: well it's also it it reinforces my belief that the drum community is such a beautiful community i mean so many other people in other industries might have seen you as the up and comer and been like, I'm going to squash this guy's career. He's going to take my gigs away. But instead Joe and Jeff decided to become close friends with you and give you gigs. And, and it's, that's, that, that's awesome. That makes me so happy. Yeah.
1: And it does too, man. But that just shows character of what these guys were like, you know, they were so willing to take the shirt off their back and hand it to you, you know? And, uh, I wish I could say that for most, most of our community in music, you know, cause it's, it's a rough community, you know, it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. I've been at many NAM shows where I could hear in a distance, someone talking shit about me, but it's like, dude, what, why, for what? We're all different. Yeah. You know? And, and that's what I always get blown away by is when drummers talk shit about other drummers. They're different. They're different than you. So we all have something to offer, right? I mean, that's, That's the key factor. Mm -hmm. And whether you're a better drummer or lesser than, whether it be technique, reading, facility, chops, soloing, so what? If you play like a mofo for five minutes straight, you got my vote of confidence.
0: Yeah, and the way I always think about that is I've never heard someone who's happy about who they are talk shit about someone else. You know what I mean? So it's like, when I hear that, I just go, ugh. Hope you figure yourself out. That's sad.
1: Yeah, that's that's such a, a a true statement there, Ben. What you just said. It's like people only talk shit if they're not digging themselves. You know,
0: hundred percent.
1: Well, let's dig move yourself. On
0: to, yes, that'll be the <laughs> tagline for this episode. Um, so this is we're we're doing a a one eighty. So I'm so happy. Um, albums, group sex. The artist is Circle yes. Jerks. Yeah. Release series ninety one. Oh sorry, eighty-one. Release series eighty-one. And the, the drummer is is Lucky Lair. Lucky, Lucky Lair. Lucky Lair. Awesome. I really don't know. I know the I know the band Circle Jerks, but I don't know much about Lucky. So and you said that a key track to listen to is is red tape, but take it away and then we'll listen to some circle jerks.
1: Okay, so the jerks, if uh, like me, I grew up in California, still here, skateboarder till my dying day first-gen, second-gen punk was the stuff to listen to while you're skating. And I remember going to the uh, Marina del Rey Skate Park. They had a stereo speaker system in the Dog Bowl, and they were playing the song. And I remember a lot of the Dogtown skaters, you know, Tony Alva, Jim Muir, Jay Adams, Bob Biniak, all those guys were there, and this song came on. And those guys were my skate heroes, the Dogtown guys. So, first of all, that, it's just synonymous skateboarding and punk rock but then i was just such a fan of lucky's playing for him to be able to play so precisely and so fast then fast forward i met lucky and he became a dw guy <laughs> and uh, we became friends as a matter of fact i got these glasses from his family oh I went wow and we not yeah his father was a optometrist and so i got these glasses from his his family at his optometry place and um but lucky he's just a badass and um here's a, here's a little side turn from the circle jerks my tax guy Keith Clark was the third drummer in line for the circle jerks I just love the jerks for all of those reasons taxes punk rock skateboarding you know but uh yeah this this song is probably the best two minutes you could spend of your life I can see, you can't just see. Joining you, joining me. Hey and I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe that was yeah. a minute long. Yeah, minute 30. Okay, so dig this. He's a big Buddy Rich fan. <laughs> Lucky. That makes and, sense. Um, and, and he, you know, he's a really fantastic jazz player, too. So go figure. But I, I listen to so much music, and I just remember this hitting me as hard as Yellow Jackets or Prince or The Time. You know, like It's all even to me. It's all the same. Like James Brown, Circle Jerks. TSOL, Earth and Fire, like yep. it's all, it's all the same to me. It all is exciting and feels good. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's your big fat five. Wow, I'm so I'm so happy we got you. Today. I mean, I know you could probably keep going on about I could a keep million going other records. Exactly, I know. <laughs> uh, Self promotion time. So, if people want to be inspired by you, because you also do a lot of videos on your socials, you're still a very active drummer. If people want to kind Of get to know Kirky B a little bit. Where can people get a hold of you, find you, talk to you, get some advice from you, all that jazz?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you could reach me on both IG and Twitter at Kurt Bisq, C U R T B I S Q, and then you could go to my website, Kirky B Music, all one word, K I R K E E B music.com, and uh, you could find all my discography there and this and that and the other. And if you want to, get with me and hire me as a consultant or a coach. I've, I've been doing that. I was doing a lot of that during the pandemic. I'd be more than happy to work with you. And you could email me, you could just go to my website and you could email me there, but my email is turkeybdrum at gmail.com. All right. But yeah, so yeah, any, any I'm willing to help. You know, I think the drumming community, uh, there was something I wanted to say. Yeah, please. In the drumming communities, specifically, because I'll I'll keep it there, I think there's so much try this, try that, do this, do that. You want to learn how to chop? Do you want to learn how to read? Do you want to learn how to play with a metronome? You're supposed to try this. If you want to do that, do this. There's so much instruction that it's getting in the way of just playing drums. My biggest advice for all of you guys out there, screw all that, don't listen, don't buy, don't subscribe, just take a month off and go play drums, get in a band, jam with your friends, because that's what it's about. And and through that, you'll find what is important. You know, maybe start taking lessons or um, hanging out with other musicians, guitar players, bass players, songwriters, learning that aspect of the biz, or engineers learning how to mic your drums. You know, it's just important because I know a lot of you out there are so young and just coming up and, and really want to pursue this. But don't forget that it's fun first. I mean, I, I spent a lot of years having fun playing drums. And, and it wasn't until you know later I realized this is what I wanted to do as my profession. But yeah, fun is first, for sure.
0: Amen. Coming from a guy who should be listened to. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. That's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully i will have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for BigFatSnareDrum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.